I don't care if I'm making $2,000 or $100,000 on it. I just love doing deals. I don't like doing deals where only one side wins. I love doing deals where it seems impossible, like this thing's never going to work. Right. And it, it comes together. We negotiate on both sides. We get the deal done. At the end of the day, you know, a month later, everybody's happy. Welcome to Invest for the Win, where we discuss strategies to win at the game of private investing. Whether you're a novice or a seasoned investor, tune in to hear experts break down complex topics and reveal emerging trends in private investing. Head over to investforthewin.com to find links to these episodes and additional content. Position yourself to invest for the win. Hosted by the founders of FTW Investments, Logan Freeman, Corey Tuck, and Parker Webb. Pin 31 exchanges can be stressful. Deadlines, how it works, new markets, and many other factors make 1031 exchange like-kind exchanges confusing. Many investors want more cash flow. They want a safe investment, but don't have the resources or direct knowledge to start or complete an exchange. Our guest today, Alex Olson, is a multifamily and neighborhood retail shopping center broker in Kansas and Missouri that actually works with buyers. He's built a system around helping buyers succeed. Today, we talk through how he finds these off-market opportunities, how he builds relationships with buyers, the whole process that somebody needs to take when they're deciding if they're going to do a 1031 exchange. And then also, uh, we talk through the most common mistakes that he sees. You're definitely going to want to tune in to this episode today. It was enlightening and there was a lot of great valuable content. Today, our guest is near and dear to us all here at FTW Investments. It's the one, it's the only, Alex Olson. As a commercial real estate investor himself, Alex understands the frustrations of not being able to locate off-market deals, not finding deals, that cash flow, and running into dead ends. Alex has helped clients complete over $50 million in sales through over 35 transactions. More on that here in a minute. Alex, not that I don't see you every single day, but I have provided a brief overview of who you are and your experience, but give us your perspective with how you got interested in real estate investing and then the journey that has brought you where you are today, which is being a top niche off-market commercial real estate broker here in Kansas City in the Midwest? Well, it first piqued my interest in real estate is, you know, I probably like a lot of us, right? We always feel like we have this knack for knowing what's a good location, what's a good property. Um, and I had a passion for architecture when I was a kid, mm. drawing buildings and stuff, but I was horrible at math. And so that wasn't going to work out for me. So I kind of tabled that until I built our dream house, which sounds a little bit odd, like why would that really get into commercial real estate? But, yeah. you know, you learn more about financing, you learn more about, you know, construction draws yeah. and what really banks care about. And then you take a look as you're doing this thing, you start talking to investors. I mean, half of the people that are working on my house were real estate investors on some level. Mm -hmm. um, and when we finished building our dream house, we're like, holy cow, we've got quite a bit of equity. We built into this thing day one. And so we tapped into that right away. And, 
bought some rental property with that. I was very much under the location, location, location mentality. Sure. And, you know, with, with that, um, bought in select locations, you know, here downtown and, and next to KU Med, you know, major economic centers, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but was always looking for a way out of my day job. You know, I still had a day job. And through this process, though, of buying real estate is like, you know, these agents, you know, love the agents I worked with. They were very smart people. They were more residential focused, I would say, um, and more seller focused. Yeah. And I totally understand that. But I was like, man, it seems like there's a way to really help investors uh, that don't know what they're doing. Sure. Close these things out. And so talk, long story short, talk to a mentor. He's like, go get your license. He's like, I don't want to get my license. Uh, I don't want to do residential stuff. And he's like, no, 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 man, go after commercial stuff. I mean, you know, multifamily. And so literally a month later, I'm sitting here talking to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like, you know, what, what do I do? And you're like, go get your license. Yep. And so that I think, and I mean, you know the story, but some of the listeners, it's like, you know, really kind of finding this niche with uh, 1031 exchange clients because they're on a deadline and then working with buyers because, you know, I feel like I have the ability to connect them with the key individuals to get deals done and evaluate deals appropriately for them. Absolutely, man. Well, it's a good story. I've obviously been a part of a lot of it, but our listeners haven't heard um, that story before. So thank you for that. Now, so you have the W-2 job, right? Right in the middle of all of the COVID-19 pandemic. Take us back to that point kind of in your life when you decided to make a change or a change happen, right? That led you on this current path. And uh, walk us through that. Take us back a little bit because my goodness, it's been a couple of years already, which is pretty crazy to think about. But let's let's walk through that story. Yeah. So I, you know, I always tell people I was looking for a job for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not really true. I mean, I love the people I worked with. You know, it was a good organization. We had a lot of fun, made made quite a bit of money. But I was always looking for something on my own. And that's where the real estate thing came into play. But even after I got my license, you know, it wasn't like you jump right into it and you've got, you know, you got the salary that you were making at your other gig and now sure. you can just quit everything. And so really kind of working closely on still trying to generate income through real estate, but also doing a W-2 job. The pandemic hits and uh, is impacted literally every single person, uh, probably, well, definitely in the U.S., yeah. And some some good, some bad. And for me, you know, on first uh, blush, it was bad because people stopped buying real estate for a period of time. I mean, at least a lot of them. And uh, the job, my W-2 job, there was definitely some nervousness around what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Are people good? You know, I was in consumer finance. And so these are all people that have loans. And are they actually going to be able to pay their pay their loans back? So there was panic across the board there. And you know, um, a couple months into the pandemic, I get this call from HR and I guess my pseudo boss at the time and basically said, hey, look, Alex, nothing you did, but it's time to make a change. And right then and there, I was fired. And, 
you know, my wife was pretty upset about it. I was excited and very nervous, but very excited. Sure. You sure. know, I remember, I remember calling you or, yeah. and or texting you and saying, Hey, look, man, this is, uh, I'm full-time real estate now. I remember um, the, I remember the day. <laughs> I remember what I was doing. I remember what I was wearing, um, all of it. So I remember that very vividly. <laughs> You know, and so that was a very scary point, but it was a very uh, exciting time. I could finally go out at that point and do what I wanted to do, which was really focus on working with buyers in the commercial real estate world. And from there, it's just been off to the races, so to speak. Awesome. So let's dive into the expertise, right? So what is it that you do differently from other commercial real estate brokers out there? Break that down for for the listeners. And uh, then we'll dive into what a 1031 exchange is. But what is it that you do differently, Alex? We've touched a little bit on it, but let's dive a little deeper. Yeah. When you look at the commercial real estate space, especially in the one to $10 million uh, asset valuation, Mm -hmm. most brokers uh, really focus on sellers. Mm -hmm. And what that means is they're after getting a listing because a listing, especially multifamily, it's often going to sell, right? You put it on the market, there's a million buyers out there, it's going to sell. And so their fiduciary responsibility at that point is solely to the seller. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're a buyer broker, which there's a select few of us, which is what I, you know, strive to be, our fiduciary responsibility is to the buyer. And what that allows us to do is really understand what the buyers are looking for Yeah, allows us to help them find appropriate lenders. You know, people don't understand um, how important a lender is in your relationship of getting a deal done. Yeah. I mean, it's the biggest part of the the cap stack, right? I mean, you know, everybody's always talking about where's the equity going to come from, but you know, when you think about it, absolutely. I mean, the financing company that you're working with is very important, hundred percent. Yeah. And so that's a big part of what we do because we know there's a lot of lenders out there. Um, they all promise different things uh, for different reasons, sure. uh, but there's select few lenders that for every single asset class and asset type and location that we can put those, um, th- those clients into, the buyers into. Another one is property manager. If you're an out-of-state investor, even a local, local investor, and you're like, yeah, you know, I just don't want to manage this property. I don't know how or whatever the case may be, we can actually connect you with five, 10, 20 different property managers that you can go meet in person or virtually. Yep. Uh, and, and then of course, you've got all the other ancillary pieces. You've got the attorneys, you've got uh, title companies and all these different pieces that help you close out the transaction. I tell us to sellers and I tell us to, to buyers all the time, anybody can put any property under contract. You know, I mean, you don't, there's not a requirement to put something under contract of what needs to be had, but can you actually get it closed out and closed out in a reasonable amount of time? And that's what we, uh, that's, you know, that's really what I pride myself on is hitting deadlines and, and really what we call the, the white glove experience with a buyer. Yeah. It sounds like you're really making it easy for, for buyers to not only find projects. I mean, that's the typical, you know, job responsibility or duty of a broker, right, is to find projects and don't just put me on an MLS drip, right? I mean, how many times do we hear that? But taking a step further and saying, okay, let's look in, let's look into the future on a transaction. 
and let's have relationships around the lending, around a contractor, property management, title, attorney, you name it, and kind of assembling a team to allow folks to feel really comfortable because as we're going to talk about next, there's a deadline and there is a reason that the saying in real estate is that time is of the essence. I mean, we've We've, we've, we've gone through that firsthand and, you know, we'll put projects out there and, and uh, people miss them because they missed an email or a text, you know, and, and so time is of the essence, but walk us through. So if somebody maybe doesn't know what a 1031 exchange is, is, you know, what is a 1031 exchange? Uh, what are the benefits of that? And um, who are the typical clientele that, um, you know, find themselves in a, in a 1031 exchange? Yeah, so take a, you know, right off the top, 1031 exchange, what is it? So 1031 is a federal IRS tax code that allows uh, an investor to sell one property, an investment property, sell that one property, and then defer all of your capital gains that you made on that investment property into any other type of real property, real estate. And that could be you can exchange into farming, you could or farm ground, not farming, but farm ground, yeah. vacant land, multifamily, any asset class in any state in the U.S. for, in simple terms, any value as long as it's more than the purchase price of your property that you sold. So that's a very basic 1031 exchange uh, definition. And the reason why the federal, it's, you know, it's important to note that it's a federal tax code is because it doesn't have anything to do with your local state jurisdiction, whatever they tell you or yeah. say or like to do. It's at the national level. Um, and that allows you to go to any state. So that's one part. Then the other question you ask is, you know, kind of why would you do this? And there's a million different reasons, but there's a couple most common reasons um, and that is to what we call lever up, right? So you've got, let's say your property is worth a million dollars and or properties, right? And so you want to sell those portfolio properties, no matter what asset class it is, and you're looking to gain more cash flow. And so you sell that million dollars, but you want to pay taxes on that, right? Because you just want to keep growing your portfolio. So then you could take that million dollars and buy something that's worth $4 million, increase your cash flow dramatically and your net worth and can continue that process really, you know, until you drop, <laughs> literally yeah. until you drop. So yeah. you can defer taxes all the way till your death on, on uh, capital gains. And uh, when your family then takes over, they start out at, um, you know, with a basically new basis level. And so they're not paying taxes on all that. Uh, so that's yeah. that's a great advantage. And a typical person that we see as clients is going to be somebody that is in kind of that range, right? They've got two, three, four, five hundred thousand million dollars uh, of equity that they need to place to defer the gains into a cash flowing asset into uh, here in the Midwest and Kansas and Missouri. Yeah. So a lot of things to unpack there. I will just say that the 1031 exchange is an extremely uh, powerful tool when understood and utilized correctly. Um, the second part is, you know, uh, being able to 
uh, create legacy through deferring these capital gains. And when you do pass away, your family inheriting a property with not a huge tax burden, right? I mean, that's really important. Um, and then the third would be, you know, we see a lot of folks on the 1031 exchange side that are kind of accidental investors, meaning, you know, they have owned a piece of property for business use uh, previously. And, uh, you know, somebody came along and said, hey, I'm going to buy that self storage unit from you uh, that you were storing all your equipment in. And I'm going to pay you a premium. And um, now they find themselves in a kind of a conundrum, right? They're like, well, what do I do? So break down, you know, let's say somebody does, you know, find themselves owning an office building or a self-storage property, or maybe they had a duplex that they lived in at one point, even a single family home that's a rental that is classified as an investment property. You know, when they decide to do a 1031 exchange, what steps does somebody need to take uh, to be successful in that? What are the first steps that they need to take? Yeah, so the first step you got to take is understanding um, that you need to have a qualified intermediary. Okay. Um, and, you know, if you're considering not consider, well, if you're considering it all in any part, you've got to make sure that you get a qualified intermediary involved, even before, ideally, before it goes under contract, just to get the ball rolling because they're going to be able to help you determine your basis, uh, you know, tax consequences. The other piece too is obviously your CPA or whoever you're using for your financial advisor, just so you understand. So they understand really kind of what you're trying to do, but that qualified intermediary has to be involved because when your property closes, you can't touch the funds. So you've got this self-storage building that you're now selling. It's under contract get your qualified intermediary involved so they know that they're going to take control of your funds at closing. Um, that's the first thing. The next thing you want to do is you need to get into and understand what markets you're going to consider. So are you going to consider the Midwest? Are you going to stay in your home market? Where are you going? And then what asset class you think you might want to get into? Don't pigeonhole yourself into the same asset class you're in. Think about the options that you have and do all of this as you're even before under contract or definitely when you're under contract, because once that property closes, which I think maybe is where you're going next, once that property closes, then you have only 45 days to identify up to three properties. Um, and there's other nuances in there. I mean, the 45 days is a hard and fast day. There's no way around that. There's no 46 day. There's no 45 and a half days, it's, you know, 45 days. Yep. And depending on your QI, that's why your QI is important. Um, I made a post on LinkedIn the other day. It's like anybody can be a qualified intermediary for the most part. However, the most advanced qualified intermediaries know all of the nuances of the identification period. And they may even allow you to text them at 1158 midnight on your 45th day to select or change what selections you have on your uh, properties you're looking for. Yeah, it's really good feedback. I mean, you know, I think that we've seen um, investors say, you know, I just sold a property. I'm excited about doing a 1031 exchange. And I'm like, okay. Or, or we're like, you know, where's the funds at? And they said, well, they're in my bank account. Well, unfortunately, uh, at that point, if you take receivership of those funds, you know, you disqualify yourself from a 1031 exchange. And so uh, that's the first big part is getting a, 
a really solid, reputable, qualified intermediary. And then knowing that, hey, the timeline starts the day of closing. You got 45 days to get three properties uh, identified. And that's where, you know, working with someone like yourself is, is so important. Um, okay, so we've talked a little bit about 1031 exchange. So what about, let's transition into, okay, what, what are the biggest mistakes that you have seen with people trying to build relationships with brokers? Because I know we hear all of the time, hey, I can't get anybody to respond to me. I don't know, um, you know, what to do to get in front of these people. All they're sending me is their listings. You know, so that's the first part is, you know, what are the biggest mistakes you see when people are trying to build relationships with somebody like yourself? And then the second part is, you know, do pocket listings really exist? You know, I mean, let's talk through that um, on the second part, but let's start with the first question there. Um, you know, how to build relationships with somebody like yourself and some of the mistakes that you see. Yeah, the most common mistake that I see, I'll start off with the mistakes and then talk about kind of how to do it. But the most common mistake that I see is, you know, any buyer that just say, hey, put me on your list, just put me on your list and, and I'll take a look. Cool. Yep. I can do that. Love to put you on my list. Um, however, you know, there's at least a dozen, 12 dozen, you know, 10 dozen people that are on my list um, that I also, that we're com communicating and providing feedback to each other back and forth. Yeah. And so the mistake is, is that they don't evaluate properties that are either on my list or off my list, but really kind of continuing to provide in the feedback loop of this is why I like this property. This is why I don't like this property. Mm. This is, you know, I'm active. I'm not active you know, hey, I, I can't buy for a month because the more you communicate with a broker, even though they may seem or appear to be annoyed with you, at least they know you're listening. It's the old, you know, silly saying of squeaky wheel gets the grease. Yeah. But it's true even in the broker world of continuously providing feedback to the broker on what you're looking for. Um, and then that's, that's number one. And then number two, coming into any market, with realistic expectations. Mm. Everybody right now, you know, wants a seven, eight, 10, 12 cap rate, right? With, yeah, me, you know, too. 10, me too. <laughs> uh, with, with 10, 20% cash on cash, you know, whatever the case may be, that's totally fine. That's what I want too. Um, however, just understanding the market. And maybe if you don't know, you ask the broker, hey man, what's the market doing? Or hey gal, what's the market doing right now? And they'd be happy to kind of show you recent comps. Uh, show you recent transactions that's even in your price range, even with uh, the asset type you're looking at, whether it's, you know, townhouse style or urban core, whatever it is, get that feedback going with the broker. And maybe, you know, you're, you're not in a position to buy, but if you are in a position to buy, the broker will, would love to help you out um, with providing feedback. If they're not, find a new broker. Right. Okay. Yeah. That's great feedback, man. I mean, just stay in communication with people. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of folks um, do this in a really well-mannered, uh, professional way. And, um, you know, it's really understanding people's underwriting and uh, sending that to brokers and saying, here's where I'm off or here's where I'm having a disconnect and I can't figure this out. And I think that's a, a part of jumping on the phone, sending good feedback, emails, getting responded to, text messages getting responded to as well. 
So, I mean, I think that uh, at the end of the day, it goes back to regular relationship building in regards to, you know, if you're trying to get somebody's attention, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to treat them nice. You're going to give them good feedback. You're going to continue to stay in communication. So I think that's great. Why do you think that that um, other brokers might shy away from working with buyers? And what do you find so rewarding uh, about working with buyers instead of necessarily just going after listings? Well, I think other brokers, you know, they <laughs> buyers do take a lot of your time. Yeah. Right. You you have nothing that is close to a guarantee that the buyer is actually going to buy anything ever. Um, and so that's a big risk from a time perspective. And that's, you know, in the real estate world, how we as agents make money is wisely spending our time. You know, we don't sell trinkets or anything off the shelf or subscription services. It's closing out deals. Um and so there's a big time wasting uh, risk for that. And the reason why I like doing working with buyers is because of some of the things we talked about at the beginning where, you know, there, you can spend a ton of time with buyers, but you can also talk to a lot of buyers, which I like doing. You can also complete a lot more transactions, which I really like doing. Whereas if you're seller focused, you're really focused on, whatever listings you currently have uh, and you're really focused on getting those sold, which is fine, but I want to make sure that I can uh, go outside that box, the seller box and into helping individuals coming into the market, helping individuals that are trying to grow their wealth um, and, you know, really taking advantage of the current market opportunities and focusing on, multiple people at once versus, you know, one or two sellers, or maybe five, maybe you're able to get five listings and manage all those uh, listings, which is great. Um, but the rewards I get, the emotional rewards I get from work with buyers is getting and building that wealth factor of owning real estate. Yeah. And what I, what I think we've seen too in this space is you build a relationship with a buyer, you become really um, a friend of these people, um, somebody that they rely on a lot because that 45 day window does get stressful. I understand that. Um, but then you also get to kind of be on the, the win of a new acquisition. It's the hunt. It's the, you know, I'm looking for a needle in the haystack and I found one and you're providing value to the seller, but also, um, for the buyer because they wouldn't have otherwise been able to find that project. And so that's one thing I wanted to kind of think through right now. So more specifically in regards to the method, right? How, how are you or what is you going to do to help somebody if they raise their hand and say, okay, you know, I've got a property under contract. I'm going to do a 1031 exchange. Uh, I hear these guys talking about this buyer's representation kind of system that they've got put in place. What do they do next? Like, what is the next step for somebody? What's the method? And how are you finding these off-market prop properties? So let's start with, you know, somebody raises their hand and says, man, I, I really love to understand this more. And then two, you know, how are you finding off-market deals um, that are not just, uh, you know, found on LoopNet or the MLS or something like that? Because, you know, anybody can go online and find those, those, those types of projects. Yeah. So the, the process, and that's what we've built, right. Is a buyer's process, right? So somebody raises their hand, you know, we're going to ask you probably to complete a form, which is maybe your form of, of hand raising. 
So you complete what we call the buyer intake form, two, three, four questions. That tells us, hey, this person's willing to spend a few seconds of their time so I can give them my time. Then from there, we set up a call. So we have an actual set time where I'm fully dedicated to discussing with you, the buyer, what are your goals with your 1031 exchange or with your acquisition? Yeah. And so we walk through, okay, here's what I'm selling. Here's how much equity I've got coming. We think, yes, I have a qualified intermediary. So we get some of those preliminary uh, questions out of the way that then we have notes on that. Okay. This person needs to buy something. It's 2 million bucks. Their property is going to close in two weeks or whatever it is, or maybe it's a month. Uh, they're looking for this kind of asset class. So we have that initial conversation. Then from there, I go out and I pick out maybe two or three properties that may or may not fit their criteria at all. Mm. But, you know, I've got the full underwriting on it. I've got a pro forma that I did, which is what I think that its value is, plus the seller's income and expenses, some photos. We also try to have a 3D tour and a drone footage so they can really kind of see and feel the whole property. Yeah. Um, put that in front of them and say, hey, look, this is where this is kind of, we think this is going to trade out in the market. What is your feedback on it? On two or three of those. We wait for the buyer to provide feedback to me. I look at it, okay. And we keep that iterative process going with the buyer. And also through that, we talk a little bit about the market, how it's landlord uh, friendly uh, here in the Midwest. We talk a little bit about, you know, what kind of appreciation we've seen, sales comps of, of other properties we've sold and others have sold. Oh, by the way, do you need a lender? We talked about that at the beginning of this call. Do you need an attorney for maybe you're doing more of a complex uh, 1031 exchange? You need an LLC set up in Missouri. Missouri is a very friendly landlord LLC state. Um, Anyway, so we're providing that kind of feedback to this buyer all the time, even as their deadline is approaching. We continue to put properties in front of them. Hey, does this work based on the feedback? Hey, does this work based on the feedback? You know, oftentimes buyers start out um, with, hey, I, I have this specific uh, deal that I want. It's urban core. It's, you know, 100% rehab. Well, it turns out they're going to buy something in, in suburbia that maybe needs a little bit of work. Totally yeah. fine. But that's our job is to continuously find out what they're looking for and help them on every part of the way. White glove service. We're putting 10, 20 properties in front of them all the time um, to where if they say, hey, yep, I want that one. Boom. We're oftentimes direct to the seller. Write up a letter of intent. We've got a, a template or a, a proven template for that that we've had great success with with uh, the sellers getting quick feedback. And then we move into the contract phase and we can provide them an attorney to review that contract, use our form, whatever the case may be. And then we help them with an inspector. We help them with title commitments. We have a preferred title company. I mean, it's a true kind of white glove service. Um, I don't want to say it's like residential style, but it kind of is residential style in terms of how we can help them close out a investment property transaction. Yeah, it's so important, right? I mean, I think the the process, not only understanding, you know, the timelines that things take, but also having those relationships is so important to getting these, these successful transactions completed. And I think too, I mean, at the end of the day, a lot of these folks are, um, you know, first time 1031 exchange investors, and um, there is a need for, for uh, representation in regards to 
you know, making sure that um, your uh, rights and responsibilities are being protected through a transaction. Somebody's got your back because, um, you know, you can make a really bad decision on an investment very easily. So, um, okay. So, you know, you've got the process, we've talked through it. Somebody raises their hand uh, when they say, Hey, what, what uh, projects do you have or how are you getting projects from, you know, uh, that I'm not going to find other, other places. Let's dive into that process for you and how you're building those relationships and bringing those deals to uh, these qualified buyers. Yeah. So that, process of generating the off-market listings, so to speak, really starts with, um, well, just like everything else, we'll pass relationships. Okay. That's, that's number one. And then number two, it's um, cold calling, emailing, texting to the sellers that we've identified here in the Kansas City market, uh, even, even beyond Kansas City, really. And what, what, potential sellers are, are on the verge of maybe selling. Mm-hmm. I say that because there's a lot of people that, you know, I, cause I cold call every single day or I call it cold call. At this point, it's more warm, warm call. They kind of right. tell me. <laughs> sure. Um, but you know, it's like, no, nah, I got sell. off. A, I got off a call earlier today and, and uh, somebody mentioned your name and he said, man, that guy's a really nice guy. I'm like, well, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad to hear that. That's good. Um, so, so yeah, the, the, you know, it's like, Hey, look, uh, I'm not going to sell. And, but I kind of walk through them and say, Hey, look, I've got a client right now. I'm calling on behalf of, this is a requirement. So your property fits into that, uh, their, you know, return criteria, their investment thesis. Yep. And I mean, it's not going to take any time. I just need a rent roll T12, you know, we for now we can use Google photos, whatever it is. Let me see if there's going to be an offer that gets your attention. And so, that's oftentimes the best way we've gotten really good, well-matched uh, properties for these 1031 exchange buyers. It's not always perfect. Um, you're never going to get the world's greatest return that you had hoped for. Um, you know, want to be clear about that. However, our process is the more involved you are with us, the better chance you have of getting what you're going to, what you want. And we have so many different case studies of, this person was on a deadline. This person said they never were going to sell. However, when we presented both sides to the uh, the opportunity, they jumped on it and got it closed out. Yep. I, you know, I think that a lot of folks have in their mind what they're trying to accomplish. And then, you know, reality sets in. Ray Dalio always says you got to deal in reality, right? And um, understanding that your goals um, that you're trying to achieve can be achieved through different asset classes, business plans, and geographic locations. It really comes down to understanding your risk and reward uh, for each one of those and what's available during your 45-day timeline. I mean, it's always a moving target. Uh, I think that's really important to understand. So many times I think people will have an idea of what they're you know, trying to accomplish. And then they talk to an expert like yourself in a, in a market that they know really well. And they're like, oh man, maybe you know, through this process, it, that, that shifts just a little bit. And people, you know, as they go and progress on the timeline, uh, definitely become more open to different opportunities. So um, wanted to see what type of asset classes um, do you specialize in? Do 1031 exchange investors really gravitate towards and why? Yeah, so um, top of the list is multifamily. 
And real quickly talking about that one, I mean, because everybody seems like and their mom invests in, in multifamily for multitude of different reasons. One, everybody needs a place to live. Um, two, it appreciates pretty well, actually, even in, in the Midwest. Uh, and three, because you, not you, but maybe you yourself used to live in a multifamily uh, apartment complex, you know what it's like. And so people can always invest in things they relate to the most at first. So multifamily is excellent. You can get cash on cash returns. Basically what, what cash on cash return is, you know, yield on your, on your, uh, on your money. Uh, eight, 10% is typical right now. And that's kind of on a yearly basis. And then when you look at maybe the internal rate of return or the average rate of return, you know, somewhere around the 20, 25% per year range uh, is, is common. And so you can tell those numbers are pretty dang good, especially when you look at the stock market right now, which kind of goes sure. like that. Um, so that's one asset class. Another asset class, which is becoming more and more popular is triple net lease investments. And those are typically neighborhood retail shopping centers, recession resistant tenants in there, which is going to be a mix of stuff that you essentially can't get on Amazon um, and more service-based industries. Those are going to be a little bit cheaper, uh, meaning you're going to get better returns on those. Uh, they may not appreciate quite as fast, but if you get a single tenant building like a Dollar General or maybe Dollar General anchored or Family Dollar or something like that, again, that's recession resistant. And, um, you know, you'll be able to sell that all day long if you ever needed to. And it's going to just be like mailbox money. So the reason why people gravitate towards triple net lease investments is because the seller really has no responsibility on the building. The tenant is paying their own maintenance, paying their own repairs, you know, paying oftentimes for the parking lot repair. I mean, all that kind of stuff. So the, the only thing that the, the seller's response or the owner in this case is responsible for is, you know, keeping the building up to date and up to code and, and, and then making the, the check, you know, cashing the check when it comes in the mail or yep. into your account. And um, there's various levels of, of that kind of investment sale. And you can buy those all over the Midwest. Um, they are becoming more and more popular. So you do see cap rates compressing a bit. But there's also a lot of people that are buying these neighborhood retail shopping centers, restabilizing them or stabilizing them into something that's more attractive and selling those off at pretty dang good cap rates. And, you know, it's perfect for an investor that is out of state and uh, maybe doesn't want really have to do with anything related to uh, management and, and just wants a check every, every single month. Awesome. All right. So multifamily, triple net lease opportunities uh, seem to be kind of the, the two asset classes that people really gravitate towards for obvious reasons. Uh, let's move from method to some predictions. I'm going to ask you one question about a prediction. Pull out the crystal ball for us just a little bit. And, you know, what are your top predictions in the Midwest commercial real estate space uh, for this year? I mean, we've we've got a lot of things going on um, in the macroeconomic environment in our world today. But what, what are you seeing out there? You know, what, what, um, what predictions do you have? You think it's going to be a strong year? Talk us through some of those top predictions that you've got. Yeah, when I look at predicting things, I always look at 
uh, history, past history, and not just even recent history, but you got to go back 10, 20, 30, 40 years. And you always look at recessions and how often they occur and, and you look at wars and how that impacts things. But then you, and then you look at the, the local microclimate, which is here in Kansas City, and you say, okay, I'm looking, I'm seeing Kansas City as a steady eddy continues to grow um, because it has for the last 25 years. I look at multifamily and triple net real estate. Those have been very consistent over the last 25 years, continuing to grow. Um, and then you look at the cost of capital to acquire those assets. Sure, it's going to go up. You know, we know rates are going up, so money's going to get a little bit more expensive. Um, however, it's still historically low. You look at you know, 2008, 9, and 10, that's only 10, 12, 15 years ago uh, with, the, with the last great recession. And um, when you look at that period, rates were pretty dang high compared to where they are now. Now, are they going to get up to that high? I don't know. I mean, the Federal Reserve has a pretty good, uh, you know, with the exception of the pandemic and the war, which I know are things that could happen at any point in time, but they have at least continuously improved upon their mistakes over time. This is my opinion um, in terms of controlling inflation and other aspects the best they can. And so I'm, I'm also always a pretty positive person. So long story short, multifamily is going to continue to soar. Uh, triple net lease is probably going to continue to be strong demand. Office, which I don't uh, delve into much, we do on occasion, is I think going to have opportunity to, to buy uh, at lower prices. But again, everything is risk rewards based, right? Yeah. So it's going to be pretty high risk with pretty high reward if you do it right. Um, so I think 2022 is going to be another banner year. I don't see anything, any reason why it wouldn't be. Yep. 21 was, and 2022 looks like it's going to blow the doors off of 2021. So we'll continue to review and stay in tune with what's happening. So appreciate that uh, crystal ball. How about this? Let's drive into some legacy. You know, we love to talk through what inspires people. You know, why do you do what you do. So I'd love to pose that question for you, Alex. What, what inspires you and why do you do what you do, man? I really, well, the, the main overarching factor, of course, is supplying for my family, um, allowing us to, to be blessed and do continue to do amazing things with our life, whether it's fun or giving back or whatever yep. the case may be. Uh, that's number one. Uh, number two, then, luckily, I love doing this. And you know, it comes down to doing deals. You know, you touched on a little bit ago. It's, it's the, Hey, we got a deal done. We found this for this buyer. Love doing that aspect. I don't care if I'm making $2,000 or a hundred thousand dollars on it. I just love doing deals. I don't like doing deals where only one side wins. I love doing deals where it's seems impossible. Like this thing's never going to work. Right. And it, it comes together. We negotiate on both sides. We get the deal done. At the end of the day, you know, a month later, everybody's happy. Yeah. Um, and, and so that's what I that's what I'm really passionate about from a real estate standpoint. And to be honest with you, real estate is is everywhere. And the more development that occurs in theory and what we see here even is the better people's lives be, become. 
Yeah. So as development continues to improve, people have better places to live. You know, more slumlords sell their properties. Yep. Uh, better operators come in and operate those properties. So that is also really, really fun to see as well. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely a, a tangible um, industry to be a part of. And you can definitely impact a lot of people's lives. And I know you are doing that uh, positively. So what is one thing that not many people would know about you, Alex? Um, one thing that is uh, uh, interesting, maybe, maybe interestingly boring, is I grew up on a farm, actually. And um, I didn't really enjoy the farming life because I never saw the fruits of my father's labor come to explosion. Um, but now that I'm, you know, dang near 40 years old, uh, looking back on it, I have even told my dad this over the last five or 10 years, dad, even though you were a farmer, you were actually a real estate investor because he bought his own farm ground. Mm -hmm. And now that money's worth, you know, eons more than what it was when he and his father paid for it. Um, and, you know, so even looking at that back in those days, my, you know, I always kind of knew, okay, dad's got some money here cause he's got this farmland, you know, okay, well, real estate actually applies to that a lot. Yeah. Uh, where somebody else, in this case, crops, so farm crops, are producing the revenue, the income to pay off that farmland and make a few dollars, which is the same thing in real estate where you're, you know, have tenants in there that pay off your mortgage debt um, while you're reaping those rewards. So it's kind of an interesting thing that I didn't realize until much later in life. Yeah, no, that's really cool. It's definitely coming full circle. So it's been an enlightening conversation. I know there's a lot of value here. I mean, I, I think just back from understanding 1031 exchanges, why you work with buyers, the, the chase and the hunt of a deal, building relationships with people, having trusted experts working on your behalf, uh, and then obviously leaving your legacy and, and, you know, really helping people and seeing that result out there uh, from the fruit of your labor labors that you're you're working on on a regular basis, a Alex. Anything that you wanted to speak about that we didn't cover? No, you know, I think we covered everything in pretty dang good detail. Um, and I just I cannot recommend enough the continue if you're an investor and you're a buyer and you're active, the continual feedback loop with your broker. Yeah. Um, to get, quote unquote, the time of day with them is so important. There's so many people that, you know, I never would have texted or sent a deal to um, if I was, you know, not in constant communication with them. Yeah, absolutely, man. So somebody says, all right, well, this was really interesting. Um, I'm sitting on a property or I'm interested in selling a property. Uh, I didn't think about the Midwest beforehand but I'm curious to see what Alex is working up to, you know, where can people find more about you and what you do? Well, the best way right now is go to www.exchangecre.com. Uh, that's our full website is dedicated to really helping 1031 exchange buyers. And um, there's a form on there that you can complete and that'll go right to me, get my attention. We'll start working on communication 
Uh, so that's one. Two, if you want to email me directly, you can at alex at exchangecre.com. Uh, and then, of course, I'm all over Bigger Pockets and all over LinkedIn. So please connect with me there. You can see, I mean, I do basically property tours seemingly every, every week while I'm on location. Um, and, you know, we communicate with all sorts of buyers on both those platforms. So be excited to talk to you there. Fantastic. We'll link to all those things in the show notes. Alex, thanks for your time and your insights. I know our listeners will find this valuable because I surely did. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Invest for the Win. If you found this episode valuable, please take a moment to share it with a friend you think could benefit from the insights of our experts. Also, don't forget to take a moment to leave us a rating and review. Visit investforthewin.com to learn more.